Is that Paula Ponte? I live. Who'd have thought? On Not your me. very own internets as well. On my own interwebs and everything with full green bars and yeah, for real. And, and you actually don't sound like ass for the moment. For now, for now. Yeah. I mean, you know, a subject to change. Crash right before. Well, I, I, I am putting it on you, Paul, to rem- to maintain a stable connection throughout this podcast. I'll see what I can do. No, no, don't see what you can do. Just do it. <laughs> I need you to Yoda this shit. Have you heard all the uh, the comments from Michael Bay about uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Well, you know, I saw something, I guess, on Twitter about, uh, you know, how the turtles are going to be aliens versus mutants. And then and then people, the Internet exploded. And that's all I've seen. What has there been something since? Yeah, basically, there were only two real comments from him. One of them was uh, that, yeah, they're going to be aliens. And then uh, fans outraged against him. And he came back and said, people need to calm down. I'm not changing anything about the core of the characters. I'm just giving them a more in-depth backstory. I think he's basically just saying the ooze is um, alien. In the- no, he he says they are part of an alien race. He actually uses the phrase alien race. Like the ooze being from an alien planet, that's best straight from the comics. That's not a big deal. But if there's a whole race of alien turtles out there, that changes the the core of the characters quite a bit. Hey, so. question. Hmm. Did anyone read Darkness number 101 last week? I did not. Nope. I did, I did I did. look through it. Look through it. Seems vaguely unlike reading. <laughs> <laughs> it is dissimilar to reading. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like when, uh, you know, Tim was in his English class in high school and he was having to read The Red Badge of Courage. Tim, did you read The Red Badge of Courage? Yeah, I looked through it. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your test. That wasn't the death knell. Great Expectations was the death knell. God, I hate that book. Uh, Scarlet I Letter was mine. that author. <laughs> yeah. Dickens, I mean, with the exception of uh, two works of his, I just absolutely cannot stand Charles Dickens. You know, I, I, I like uh, The Christmas Carol, and I like David Copperfield. And that's it. I'm sure he's hurt. I'm sure he is, too. I I, I think I'll probably put a big He's so hurt he's it. fucking dead. That's right. Yeah. I mean, oh. if he was alive right now, he'd be writing Avengers vs. X-Men, wouldn't he? <laughs> he would say it's not wordy enough and doesn't have an old woman in it. Trying God, to great uh, expectations just, just excruciatingly bad. Sucked. <laughs> Sucked on toast. God. Like, you know, left a scar. I read that my freshman year in high school, and I remember thinking, this year is never going to end. <laughs> that book just would not end. Uh, for me, Withering Heights was the was that book. Where I had to struggle to keep awake in class while we were reading it. I don't think I ever had to re- read Wuthering Heights. It's probably the dumb. the two books I hated most that we had to read in school were uh, Wuthering Heights and then The Great Gatsby. I liked Gatsby. I hated it, and they're making a movie of it. Another movie of it. They've made a movie of yeah, it. Yeah, another movie. Um, let's see. Um, I liked almost all the Shakespeare I read in high school. I wouldn't go that far. I hated Romeo and Juliet. Well, but, you know, I hated Romeo and Juliet because of what a big deal they made of it, you know, because when when we read Romeo and Juliet, it was like, this is the romance of the ages. And I'm like, sounds like two stupid kids to me, you know. (laughs) (laughs) See, when we read it, it was the Leonardo DiCaprio movie had come out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, the, the the movie version that was big at, at my time. This will hint at how old I am. Is the uh, uh, 
what was that? The Franco Zeffirelli one. The Charlie Chaplin version. The Charlie Chaplin, yeah, the silent movie <laughs> version of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Old Aaron is old. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they would they would they played the movie uh, in our classroom in keeping with how far we had to be with with the book with the with the play. So you know, you read to you know whatever point in the play, and then they would play that part of the movie. And when they got to the part where you know uh, uh, Romeo hits it, they had to fast forward through that part. <laughs> because there's actually a nude scene there. And you're like, wait, wait, it's the good stuff. So um, Juanita had to, uh, had to read A Midsummer Night's Dream for one of her classes a few years ago. Uh-huh. And I had to resort to reading it myself and then setting up the stuffed animals and then doing like a Muppet version. <laughs> she just could wow. Not it. That's awesome. That is, I'm not a big Shakespeare fan at all. That is my favorite, though. I love Midsummer Night's Dream. I am a huge fan of King Lear. Oh yeah, absolutely love King Lear. But you know, I was real fortunate. I had I had my uh, Shakespearean literature class in high school. I had a really good teacher in there, and same when in college, I had a fantastic Shakespearean literature professor. I mean, it just really made it all come alive and and whatnot. But I'm a big fan of the the histories and the tragedies. I'm not such a big fan of the comedies. Yeah, I'm with you. But, you know, I had a my freshman year of high school. The books we read were the main ones that I remember were Romeo and Juliet, which sucked, of course. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Hamlet, which I loved. Beowulf, which I loved. Oh, yeah. All over Beowulf. And The Hobbit. So it was like a damn good year in literature. See, we read the we read The Hobbit in junior high. Freshman year, I had uh, I had the advanced English class, which was American lit. So we read uh, Gatsby, To Kill a Mockingbird, a good book. Uh, Tom Sawyer, and, and I Ordinary. Hate, absolutely and, hate Mark Twain. Absolutely hate Mark Twain. Agreed. Uh, Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, whatever else crap he's ever written. I cannot stand Mark Twain. Uh, we read being a classical literature podcast. You we know, read the, uh, A Day No Pigs Would Die, and then probably my favorite book that we read all through high school, Ordinary People. A day no pigs would die. What the hell is that? I don't know. It sounds uh, good. basically the uh, it's, it's an about... episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. <laughs> <laughs> a day no pigs would die was about a girl who was raising a pig as a a pet, and her father was a butcher. And a day no pigs would die was the day her father died. It was a really depressing ass book. Because uh, her I'm, father I'm kills her pet, and then her father dies, and that was the day no pigs would die because her father was dead and couldn't kill any of them. Hey, there was a sequel called A Part of the Sky. But you didn't know that, <laughs> did you? <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, Ordinary People is my favorite out of uh, all the books that I read in high school. It was about a, uh, a kid who had tried to commit suicide, and yeah. his brother had died a year before, and he was – it's basically uh, – it's written – one chapter will be his perspective. The next chapter will be his father's perspective. And the whole book was just – it was very interesting. It was very relatable. Hey, hey Aaron, you, you remember when you asked if if, I, if we had a favorite Star Trek episode and I gave you the stupid look? And you're going to tell me Time's Arrow with Mark Twain in it, right? No, no. Okay. I, I'm just – now that I'm watching some Deep Space Nine, I've, I've got an answer now. Oh, good. Very excited. Not that it matters. And, and which episode is that? Uh, it's called The Visitor. Oh, that's a good episode. With uh, where the one about his uh, his son, yeah, yeah, 
Oh, yeah, that's a good episode. That is a good episode. I forget that actor's name. He was Candyman. Um, Tony Todd? Yeah, Tony Todd. Yeah, yeah. Tony Todd. Yeah, that is a fantastic episode of Deep Space Nine. Followed very closely behind by House of Quark. Oh, my God. House of Quark is really good. <laughs> so Those, I have a podcast I listen to that's a Spider-Man podcast. And they uh, they just did a review this past week of Spider-Man XXX, a porn parody. <laughs> that was the most hilarious thing I think I've ever listened to. A serious Spider-Man podcast reviewing the porn. And you have all this – you have like fan outrages of uh, if anybody's going to have a threesome with Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy, it should have been Peter and not Flash. Why does that jackass get a threesome? <laughs> Do they talk in the Wayne Nerd voice? No, they use their. Do they interview? Oh, that'd be great. Now you know uh, one of my buddies owns a production studio in uh, San Diego. Porn production. Well, you know, (laughs) he was telling me the other day that when they rent when they rented out their new space, the landlord was very specific. You cannot use this to produce porn, and he's like. Okay, but why? You know, because they're not in the porn business. But he was just like, why? And he was like, church over there, school over there, daycare over there. You cannot do porn here. Okay. <laughs> He's like, what about softcore? No penetration. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. What about cable porn? Can we do cable porn? <laughs> With Aaron, Polly, Tim, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. And how did I get stuck in the caboose again? How does this happen? Back. You like it in the back. What did I? What did I do to deserve this, boys? <laughs> how many comics well, read this week, Tim? Uh, I, I read three. <laughs> one of which I'm going to talk about. <laughs> you know, I, I do want to point out now, though, that Tim now officially has his first paid for digital comic because while we were sitting here i gifted him aquaman number one so he has waiting in his email his first paid digital comic because i know how much he loves talking about digital comics so now he's going to be reading a digital comic so next week he can talk about digital comics no yep. wayne i said that i said that if you sent me a digital comic you were going to sleep with the fishes not that i wanted to read <laughs> a story about someone that slept in the fishes we talk about this being tim's first time and Wayne wasn't gentle about this at all. I mean, there was no whining. There was no dining. It's just, uh, here's your digital comic. He just camera. shoved it right That's there. right. That's <laughs> probably the only way to do it to me, I suppose. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> probably would have struggled more if I knew. That's Paul, crazy. you missed us, didn't you? I, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not one bit. Not one bit, yeah. I got sleeping on my Saturdays. I got to watch some DC Nation animated shows. So I got a question for you, Paul. I have an answer for you, Aaron. Are you an Andrew Beefen? Yeah, a little bit. Because, you know, I noticed that uh, when you came back, Andrew went missing. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think we're having a diva moment here. I, I don't want to be seen in the same podcast as Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be hard to be seen in the podcast, Paul. You know, thus the joke. Really a visual medium. <laughs> So, Paul, you were mentioning the DC Nation stuff. I'm kind of curious. I keep hearing it called, like, the DC DC Nation block. What else do they have on besides Young Justice and those little short minis that they have before Young Justice? Because well, that's all that I know of, and that's all that I'm watching is Young Justice and those little shorts. One Green Lantern. Yeah, they, um, they, it's, it's Green Lantern, and they have some animated shorts. And not just animated shorts. I mean, sometimes they have, um, like, little things about the comic books and stuff like that. Yeah, or the guy and, walking through the the, the the movie Batmobiles. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's, uh, it's it's got like a, a mixture of things, and it's got Young Justice. And next year, it's going to have Beware the Batman. So it's kind of like the Marvel Animation Hour, if you guys remember that. Oh, yeah. With Fantastic Four and Iron Man. It's, it's kind of like that. But uh, I, I'm or the, enjoying it, actually. Or the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Super Show. Exactly. I, I remember that too, actually. <laughs> Overtures, hit the lights. This is it, the night of nights. You know, Bugs Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, oh, what heights will hit? On with the show, this is it. So it starts on Saturday morning. Kids are missing out today. Because well, kids today have young justice. And that show is incredible. Yeah, it's, but it just but keeps Superboy doesn't wear a top hat and sing. You know, it, yet. But they it, have Satana, and she does sometimes wear a top hat. Fair point. Fair point. And, and fishnets. Re- and fishnets. Did Bugs Bunny wear all that? Sometimes. <laughs> on a t- on occasion. <laughs> 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 so I uh, I know you're watching uh, Young Justice, Wayne. Oh yeah, and I am loving. It just seems to get better and better. I kept expect every time I expect it to, uh, I don't know, to lighten up. It doesn't. The show keeps getting darker. They keep having more and more serious stories, but it's still fun. Um, Paul, are you watching Young Justice? I am. I'm a couple episodes behind, but I, I agree with Wayne. It, it seems, which to a certain extent, where Wayne likes it, I'm like, okay, it would be nice to have an episode that wasn't so dire. Mm-hmm. Like the world is going to end, all the adults are missing, or all the adults are out of commission, or all the Justice League is out of commission, and so the world is residing on the Young Justice. It's like it would be nice if that didn't happen every episode, but it's actually a pretty well written show. Some good character interactions. Yeah, it's unlike uh, it, a lot of shows for uh, for. I mean, this is definitely a teen show, not a younger kids show, because it's so based on continuity. I mean, you have to have known what happened in the episodes before for each episode most of the time. Because it just keeps building on itself, building story by story by story. It's very emo. It is a very emo show. Um, very much a product of its times. But really, you know, I would say it's, you know, it's not quite Justice League Unlimited. Right. But it's pretty damn good. It's pretty damn close. Considering it's been a while since we've seen the DC characters other than Batman in animation. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did a really good job of not fucking it up. Like yeah. Batman Brave and the Bolt, which I hated. You know, I hated that show. Well, yeah, it was a kiddie show. It was a kiddie show. You know, I was like, you know, come on. You follow up Batman the Animated Series and The Batman, which I actually enjoyed, with this. This was, you know, this is staying true to the, the quality that we expect from DC and their animated properties. Yeah. And well, it's not just the Young Justice characters. You've got all of the big characters are in here, too. The Justice League is a constant fixture of the show. 
And one of the stories that they keep, you know, that is stretched out since season one, since episode one, is that Superman is creeped out that there's a clone of him. You know, normally on these kind of shows, you would have Superman becoming the mentor of Superboy. But so far, we're in, I think it's the second season, and that's still an ongoing subplot of Superman is creeped out that this person even exists and that he's not going to be a mentor or father figure of him because he's, you know, he finds it creepy. Well, I got to say, I am uh, hugely surprised that I am enjoying Green Lantern as much as I am. Um, I, the animation style is not one that I particularly care for, that total CG sort of uh, uh, style. And I, I think it works really well for the show. Um, you know, once you once you kind of release the fact that, uh, you know, Kilowog in the show isn't the Kilowog from the comics, you know, he's not the, you know, war-hardened veteran. You know, he, he is almost as much a rookie as Green Lantern is in the show. Uh it, it's it's really good. Yeah, it, you know the animation style kind of surprised me. Uh huh. Because um, I just I wasn't you know I saw the promo images I'm like I'm not gonna like this. Yeah. But it actually works better in motion. Yeah, I agree. Than I thought it was than I thought it was going to. Yeah, the and it's beautiful in HD. Oh I mean, yeah, it's just beautiful in HD, and I, I sometimes the the these particularly DC animated uh, shows follow a formula, you know, uh, you know, there is the problem, big fight, immediate resolution. And you can, you, you can tell where the resolution is going to occur. And Green Lantern is really kind of broken free from that. Like it's not always the big battle between, you know, hero and villain. It's, uh, you know, three, characters with conflict fighting the same, you know, environmental hazard. So, you know, it's man versus nature instead of man versus man. And uh, I just, I, I'm really re- responding to that. I, I think the stories are, are, are mature. I think they appeal, you know, the, the action parts of it appeal to a younger audience, but there is enough there for, for a, uh, an older individual to, to really sink their teeth into. I'm digging it. I think the Green Lantern series is fantastic. Well, I'm surprised the way they took it, because it doesn't take place on Earth, really. Right. I mean, the first episode does, but he's, you know, very quickly the uh, the basis of the series, and I'm not ruining much here, Right. is that they go into the far reaches of space, and it would take them hundreds of years to get back, and they're right. trapped out there. And so it's kind of like a... It's Star, Star Trek, Trek Voyager. <laughs> it's Voyager. Star, yeah, yeah, Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. It's like Star Trek Voyager, and I'm like, that's an odd way to take it, because, you know, you expect to see... His interaction with Carol Ferris and, uh-huh. you know, the Earth stuff and Sinestro, and they stay away from all of that. But, you know? you know, I think that's the part that really works about Green Lantern in the comics is when he's not on Earth. I mean, I, I, I don't the, – the stories that I truly dislike about Green Lantern are the Earth stories with the exception of the destruction of Coast City. Um, but th- when he's off in space, I think is when, when the character really works because he is more of a science fiction wow. character than that's a superhero character. That's the exact opposite of what, what I enjoy out of Green Lantern. When he's off in space, I could care less. I don't like the big cosmic stories. I want it more down to earth. That's why I was such a big fan of Kyle because he was more, you know, he was more earthbound when it came to being a Green Lantern. And you'd probably hate what's going on currently in Green Lantern too. Because it's very Earth-based. Which is one of the reasons I'm loving Green Lantern right now in the comics. Yeah, and is a large reason why I'm not reading it. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think that the animated series is really very good. And I haven't been watching Young Justice, but I'm picking it up today on TiVo. Now, when you say pick up on TiVo, does TiVo have previous episodes, kind of like a Netflix or a Hulu type thing? No, but you you can't. I mean, TiVo, the TiVo service itself doesn't, but you can go through and pick it up from Hulu through your TiVo. Oh, nice. Yeah. And by the time we're uh, by the time our folks are, our audience is listening to this episode, Ultimate Spider-Man would have started. Yeah, uh, April first. And supposedly it's you know people have seen the the first episode and it's supposedly really good written by yeah. Paul Dini. Yeah, yeah, no, Iron I'm excited about that. As a regular character, I, I have TiVo all programmed to get it tomorrow morning. Well, we can talk about it next week on the show, or or we won't. You never no, I'm know. I'm pretty sure we will, unless you it sucks. Ne- you never know. We'll, no, if it sucks, we'll talk no, about it. I sucks, promise, then. I'm not talking about it. Well, speaking of suckage. <laughs> Superman number seven came out this week. The, you know, we've been talking about this book for weeks now. We're looking forward to the the start of the Keith Giffen Dan Jurgens run. Um, friend of the podcast Dan Jurgens, and I have nothing bad to say about him. But <laughs> Superman number seven sucked. I'm sorry, I did not care for this book at now, all. Now, Paul, yes, what didn't you like about this book? It feels very much like the George Perez run that started the series that I didn't care for. It just I don't I don't care for the characterizations, the 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 characters the, the, the when I say characterizations the dialogue is very stiff. It's very 70s 80s style of dialogue. Um I don't like characters who narrate everything they're going to do. Like maybe if I punch him in just the right spot, blah blah oh, you know, it's it just it felt, it just felt like very stiff. I, I'm looking for a Superman book that just feels like a modern, well-written Superman book, and this just did not, it did not feed that. And I was looking forward to it because I like Hellspont as a villain, and they brought in Hellspont as a big villain for Superman, and it just, it just felt very silly to me. Yeah, I agree that this seemed to just grow out of the, uh, the previous run. It felt just like the what I had already been reading. I wanted this to be a more cut, you know, basically cut with what happened. Here's what's going now. Bigger difference, I guess, than it, than it was. Cause it really wasn't a feel change with the new creative staff. I did think the first page, like I was, I was hopeful when I saw the first page because yeah, that I, I was jazzed when I saw the first page. Yeah. That to me, that's Superman. And then I, you know, kept turning the pages and more and more it just and and disappointed and, me and to describe that first page you've got superman you know standing in front of a woman and child uh protecting them with his body you know fending off these you know big blasts of energy that are you know blowing huge chunks in the brick wall behind them you know and it's just a very heroic scene uh and it just was very reminiscent of of an era of superman that wayne and i both really liked yeah and the dialogue there yeah. Stay behind me. I have this. Yeah. That's Superman. The confidence. Whether he's actually confident or not, that air of confidence, that air of, you know, I am the hero. I am going to do this. You know, I, there were parts of the book that I really liked. There, there's a scene with uh, Clark, Lois, and Jimmy and uh, Perry White that I thought worked really well. You know, it was, a, it was a whole bunch of conversation happening at one time, and Clark's not really tracking any of it. And yep, you know, I, so so he I enjoyed that too. Yeah, he inadvertently, and it's two pages in the book. He inadvertently agrees to have Jimmy Olsen as his roommate, 
but because he was saying yes to something else. And, you know, he was saying yes to clarify a situation, but didn't realize that he's agreeing to pick someone up from the train station, you know, (laughs) and it's this whole thing, you know, Superman is usually so fast, but he's so preoccupied with what he's got going on. He's really not paying attention to what's going on in this Clark Kent personal life. And of the entire book, I think there are three pages that work the first page and these two pages. Yeah, because I also like the. Well, they're discussing his article there, too, mm-hmm. that he has been assigned to the Superman beat, and he's really uncomfortable writing glowing stories about Superman. As well he should be. Yeah, that yeah. The stories he's writing are all about the firefighters and the rescue staff, and there's barely any mention of Superman, and he's getting yelled at for that. But that, to me, that that is Superman. That is yeah. the humble character that Clark Kent is, that he wouldn't be comfortable writing this big you know, raving story about himself. Yeah. Yeah, but that's so, contradictory to the Superman that we're seeing personified elsewhere. You know, I mean, we're not seeing the the Kansas farm boy. You know, that was supposedly something they removed from the new DC 52. And, you know, the rest of the book is just, you know, so there's this big fight with this monster thing, this robot monster in Metropolis. And it's it's not exciting at all because the entire time all they're talking about is the property damage and the people around wanting Superman's autograph and wanting to have sex with Superman and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, this isn't that interesting to me. Um, this takes away from the joy and excitement of the book for me. Mm-hmm. You know, Superman's like, well, maybe I should get a website so that the villains can go there and contact me. It's like, <laughs> come on. Well, give me he, a freaking break. Yeah, he's adopted the Spider-Man, you know, amusing banter. Uh, at least in his self-monologue, and, and it just seems out of place for Superman. You know, I was also really bothered by the biotech suit. I actually kind of liked the biotech suit. Yeah, it, me too. It annoyed me in that he rips the shirt open and he's got what looks like a Superman shirt under. Right. But then the suit like grows out from there. It's like right. That if it were one or the other, if it was uh, if he had like just the belt on and that became the suit that might not have bothered me as much but that it looks like it's a whole shirt he's got on under that then grows into the suit i don't know it, I, it, I, if it, was it annoyed more, me saying if it was more of a symbiote because <laughs> i was thinking <laughs> that too you know he tears off his shirt and i'm like and then his you know his suit turns into the suit and i'm like well why can't he just use the bio suit to turn into regular clothes yeah i did want kind of wonder that same thing but i like the idea of a superman symbiote where he's like super venom. I like it. <laughs> well, maybe when the next writer comes on. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe they'll get Todd McFarlane on this. And uh... <laughs> I got to be honest, this new creative team, I think they're just continuing with the same. Well, don't you think that's kind of an editorial mandate, though? I yeah, mean... I absolutely do. And I, you know, Keith Giffen does what he's told. And that's why Keith Giffen oh. is brought into the fold. Well, that rhymed. Um, but I mean, you know, Keith Giffen is like this go-to guy because you know he he gets, he gets it done, and he you know he follows editorial mandate and he doesn't argue about it. Well, unfortunately, in this case, I think you know he he was told you're following George Perez's run. Here's what George Perez is doing. Follow that up, and so he's trying to keep the same feel. And unfortunately, you know, Keith Giffen is a better writer than this, and I know he is. And so this book just did not. And you know what? Dan so, Jurgens is a better artist than this too. I'll I'll go out and say I'll say that. I mean the art isn't uh, it's not bad, but it feels just like the previous run. 
I don't see Dan Jurgens in this art except for like we said that first page. I see Dan Jurgens in that first page, but other than that, I'm not seeing what I typically see out of Dan Jurgens for art. I think there is a style guide that these guys are following in terms of of the design of the books uh, to give them their own unique New Fifty Two feel. Um, and I think that there is a an editorial guide on where these stories are going, um, as opposed to a new creative team coming on and, and getting to just run free, like you would hope that a new creative team could do. Yeah, and the really sad thing about this is, because at this point, I'm done with Superman. I, oh, you're Superman, not sticking around for number eight? No, Superman is wow. my favorite character of all time, and there's not a single Superman book out there that I can enjoy right now, and that that really hurts me to say and looking through this, there's some potential here. I love all the Clark Kent stuff. I love that last panel of Lucy, you know, Lucy standing there at the train station and Clark not picking her up. But the rest of it, I just disliked so much that I can't justify spending the money on it every month just for those couple Clark Kent pages that they'll mix in. Well, I have seen enough uh, movie of the weeks to know what Superman number eight is going to bring. Lucy is going to either be a hooker because a pimp picks her up or she's going to be starring in porn um, because that's what happens when you don't pick up a young lady at the at the bus station. So my prediction. So maybe I will pick up. Maybe I will pick up a (laughs) break. Well, and the title of number eight is Seduction of the Innocent. So cue porn music. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> backdoor lucy <laughs> so uh, one night in lucy yeah um, <laughs> so i'm assuming none of us are on for superman number eight i'm actually going to pick up superman number eight those three pages were, were worth it enough for me to pick up one more issue well you let me know if it's I, worth it. i will do that yeah, I if did it's not worth it i'll it. wait until the price drops and i'll buy it digitally but yeah those three pages were about the only thing <laughs> that I enjoyed in it. I mean, it, it really is sad. I want a good Superman book so badly because he is my favorite character out of, out of comics at all. Oh yeah. No, I'm right there with you. I'm aching for a good Superman book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, luckily we don't have to keep aching for a good daredevil book. Holy shit. Daredevil number 10 book of the fucking week. Yes. Yes. Book. Oh man. That book is so good. Let's start with the cover. The cover is beautiful. You've got mm-hmm. kind of this uh, this etching sort of uh, lithograph kind of look to the mole man and the mole people uh, fighting Daredevil. It is a gorgeous cover by Paolo Rivera. Hey, Tim. Tim. Why don't you write this down for cover of the year so we don't forget it? <laughs> yeah, I'll pass. I, you know what I'm doing? I'm taking pictures of my covers this time around, and I'm creating a little folder for them. Nice. But uh, I this – God, this this cover is is beautiful. Is just beautiful. Paolo I, Rivera just knocked that out of the ballpark. Yeah, I really wish after reading these last couple issues that I would have started with Daredevil number one to get this entire Mark Wade run because it just he is blowing me away. I mean, I as I read this issue, there was there were a lot of points where it's like, okay, I see what's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. Every single time, I was wrong. Yeah. I mean, he is Mark Wade. Besides, just he is probably my favorite writer at the moment because everything he writes, I just absolutely enjoy. But he has this way in his stories of setting up the most cliche, you know, events and then going in completely different directions. 
he consistently fools me with his writing. You know, uh, I'm not usually one to be interested in comic book scripts, but I'm really curious to see how he scripts these books with Paolo Rivera because I want to know how much of this how much of this visual storytelling are cues from the writer versus Paolo Rivera just being brilliant. Yeah, because there's a lot with this particular run of Daredevil dealing with Daredevil's powers. Yeah. I mean, more than any other Daredevil story, these have done a good job of explaining what are his weaknesses when it comes to being blind, yeah. as well as what is it actually like? What are What is he seeing? What are his senses? And part of that is the, the dialogue and the, uh, the inner dialogue, but yeah. a lot of that is, like you said, the art. Yeah. Well, you know, the, 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 this issue opens up with Daredevil having been dropped into this pit, what he originally believes is a pit, and then realizes that he's plummeting towards the gaping maw of some giant monster. And, you know, <laughs> he has this dialogue that says, you know, despite what we, what we heard as kids, neither Jonah nor Pinocchio could really survive inside a giant beast, not for 10 seconds. It's not a cartoon cave. It's a choking wet abyss with acid spit and teeth and an appetite. And as, as he, you know, goes into this creature's mouth, he rapidly figures out what to do, and he essentially garrots the thing's tongue. You know, yes. he, he wraps the, the cord from his uh, billy club around it and just rips the, <laughs> the, the, the thing's tongue in half. And, you know, of course, it, it roars in pain and spits him out. And I'm just like, oh, my God, that is I mean, that is freaking awesome. Besides being awesome, this is another point where I really have to give it to the artist. I wouldn't like this art style in another book. Yeah. I mean, I'll say that right now. I don't want this art style in Spider-Man. But for Daredevil, this really works. That scene, if it were drawn by someone who does you know, brighter colors and wasn't trying to put this all in darkness, mm-hmm. that could have been a corny scene to see. Or it, could have been, it could have been a grotesque scene. As it is, I cringed when oh, yeah. I saw that yeah. because it just yeah. looks painful. Well, it, it's and part exactly of it what... is there's no detail. It's all dark. Well, and what's great is, I mean, the 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 – Art is so perfectly matched to what's going on. I mean, you felt that. You know, you saw him wrap it around the tongue, and then there's the big explosion of blood and and tissue. And I mean, I I, I think we all just kind of went, oh my god, that's got to hurt like a mother, <laughs> you know. And then I love the the narration from Daredevil. If I could see half the stuff I get myself into, I'd be scared brown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, this book is fantastic. This book is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so it just keeps surprising me over and over. It doesn't do what I expected it to do, and I'm going to have to go out and get the uh, the trades of the f- the first however many issues I didn't get of this title because you know from this point on I think if Mark Wade goes on a book I'm going to always give it at least the first issue because he is I don't normally follow writers mm-hmm. he consistently produces material that I love and he does. He doesn't have just this one track style. You know, Irredeemable is nothing like this book. Right. You know, Incorruptible is nothing like this book. And Irredeemable and Incorruptible have different feels as well. So he's capable of, you know, telling completely different kinds of stories. And I will still enjoy them. So, uh, you know, there, there was a little actual online controversy about this book this week. 
Um, I don't know if any of you guys saw this, but uh, if you'll recall from issue nine, there was uh, a little speculation about uh, Daredevil sniffing his fingers after having been with uh, Black Cat. <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> and uh, uh, there is a, a uh, note that the Black Cat leaves for Daredevil, and she says, if you're reading this, rumor has it that you're very good with your fingers – and I would not disagree. <laughs> uh, Rich Johnston over at uh, uh, Bleeding Cool had some things to say about it, complaining about uh, about the this ongoing little bit that Mark Wade's put in about you know Daredevil and his his use of uh, of his fingers. Uh, finger banger, yeah, yeah. I I don't know why anyone's got a problem with that. It's not like they actually said finger bang. I mean, the only people who are going to get it are people who know what the hell that means. I mean, I I think it's very amusing. I think it's very amusing. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not graphic. It's yeah. just kind of a. It's an undertone. Mm-hmm. She didn't say I remember your dick. I mean, she just said you're good <laughs> with your fingers. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just it cracks me up, and it also cracks me up that people get you know bent about that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I I'm just I'm just in love with Daredevil. And not just because he's good with his fingers. <laughs> but it helps. <laughs> so, FF number whatever the hell this is, like 16. 16. So, in a last... I, I missed the conversation where you guys talked about the Fantastic Four, the conclusion of the uh, Forever arc with the return of Johnny Storm, and basically the conclusion of everything that's been building since uh, Hickman started the title. Yeah. You mean the issue that had the best line of the year? To me, my Galactus. Yes, that issue. So this is kind of like the follow-up to that issue. I mean, this is the conclusion in the FF series of uh, you know their piece of it, and so I, I kind of wanted to talk about it because I you know I missed a bit of that conversation, and and this issue I thought had some pretty big moments. Mm-hmm. And spoilers on because I'm really more focusing on the ending here. First of all, I thought this was a great book. Um, but they should have called this, you know, FF number 16, The Scolding. Yeah. Because <laughs> really, it's it's all about, I'm, I'm about, I'm going to get grounded. I'm going to be scolded. Here's the scolding. <laughs> uh-huh. you, know, you know, I mean, that, that is what this book is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all from Valeria's point of view. And, you know, I thought, you know, I, I got to say, you know, the the Jonathan Hickman run has been a little hot and cold for me, and I'm I'm a big Jonathan Hickman fan, you know. But I did drop out of FF when the Black Bolt thing happened, um, and you know now seeing how the story concluded, those Black Bolt issues seem more pointless than even before. Yeah, those were filler. Because I mean that literally had almost nothing to do with how the story resolved itself. Right. Um. Which is frustrating, but you know, and and I think there are good bits of that throughout the entire run. That there are things that were that basically went nowhere. Um, but ultimately, I thought it was a pretty successful run. I think it maybe went on a little too long. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think they they could have trimmed the fat and had a pretty successful storyline with maybe about twelve less issues than they actually had. Uh, but this this is a conclusion as far as the FF stuff with the Valeria and. Reed's dad and future Franklin and future Valeria and all that stuff. Um, but the big thing for me was the ending, you know, because Valeria gets scolded for lying to her parents and they, she says, I won't do it again. Oh, oh, you're skipping the most important panel, Paul. Okay. 
they're, the whole family is gathered around. They're scolding uh, uh, Val, and you know Ben Grimm says, "Nobody likes bad girls, kiddo." And Spider Man's like, "Well," and Johnny Storm immediately stop. <laughs> 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 Go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that that was funny though. Yeah, but um, you know, and so Valeria's like, "Okay, no more lying." And then it cuts to. Valeria, in her last words to Doctor Doom, before Doctor Doom apparently sacrificed himself, um, but he, you know, he ended up living through it, obviously. And Valeria has given essentially Doctor Doom the Infinity Gauntlet, and I think that's a pretty big freaking deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, all of the all the Doom bots popping up, Doom, Doom, Doom. Yeah, and it just says the Parliament of Doom at the end. Yeah. I just think, you know, I, I hope that Hickman is building up to something and not just, like, leaving it for another writer. Yeah. <laughs> well, know, you know, Hickman's supposed to be on uh, on this book for a good long while. I don't think so. I think he's I – don't, I don't think he's got a – I don't think he has another year. I think he's only staying on until after Avengers vs. X-Men, and then I think he's moving on. Oh, really? Because the, the last interview I heard with him is that – I mean, he had he had plotted this thing out for years to come. Uh, okay, then maybe I'm wrong. I mean, and maybe no, he's I, not going to stay on FF. But my understanding is that he was going to be on Fantastic Four for a good long while. Well, I'd be okay with that. I think FF is kind of a redundant title now. Well, I think it just it just further expands, you know, the story. It's a larger yeah. footprint for the story. See, I don't think it's going to be a redundant title going forward. Now that Johnny's back, I think we're going to see two different kinds of stories between the two books. Fantastic Four is going to be the more superhero book. And FF is going to deal with the children more. Yeah, it's FF Academy. Yeah, but you know, I would be okay with a fantastic with a three ninety nine Fantastic Four, with a main story featuring the Fantastic Four and a backup featuring the FF. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need two separate titles. Honestly, I think I may end up picking one or the other and just go with because I mean they do have a different feel to them. Or at oh, least very I, much. I hope they will. What I'm kind of curious about for you guys have read the cosmic stuff. Whose body is that that had the gauntlets on their on its hands. I'm wondering that myself because last I, I heard the gauntlet was oh no wait. I think this is the infinity gauntlet from another universe though. Yeah, I think so as well. I think okay. that I think that the body you saw is one of the, the reeds, one of the evil reeds. Yes, you're right. Now that you mentioned because one of the one of the other reeds did have an infinity gauntlet on his arm. Right. Okay. And so I think I think that's what it is, because the Infinity Gauntlet in the main Marvel Universe has been, you know, the gems have been dispersed again amongst the Illuminati. That happened in the, the second arc of the the current Avengers storyline. Right. So, yeah, I, I really dug it. I thought this was a good book. So, you know, speaking of the Avengers, I've been – I picked up – and we haven't really spoken about either title for a while – I picked up New Avengers number 23 this week mm-hmm. um, because I know you're still reading New Avengers, Aaron. I am. Um, the Brian Michael Bendis, Mike Diodato book. Um, but I picked it up because they've got this alternating storyline between New Avengers and Avengers, which I was reading, featuring the return of Norman Osborn. Right. Norman Osborn broke, you know, broke out of prison in one of the .1 issues. I think it was 16.1 of New Avengers or something. And since then, each book has had a different storyline. Avengers has had Norman Osborn basically taking on the Avengers head-on and this book with Hydra. And New Avengers has basically had the formation of a new Dark Avengers, which I guess is leading into that Jeff Parker book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dark Avengers fighting the New Avengers. And I got to say, I know I've been a little negative. I'm going to continue to be negative. <laughs> 
I felt like this Norman Osborn storyline was dumb. You're dumb. You're dumb. You are. I, I just, I, I just thought, you know. So Norman Osborn, after being in prison since Siege, his big plan was basically to become an adaptoid so that he can take on any powers of anybody who touches him. Right. That's his big plan. He takes over Hydra, and his plan is just to become an adaptoid. Well, a super that. adaptoid, not just an adaptoid, a super adaptoid. A super adaptoid. That's right. Say just, now, better plan. <laughs> I mean, because, I mean, both storylines, both in Avengers and in New Avengers, were basically four issues, maybe five, of the Avengers getting their asses kicked uh-huh. constantly for four or five straight issues. And then they turn each one turned it around in the last issue. Um, and it just, you know, I, I, I did not care for either storyline. Uh, you know, I, I know they were trying to coordinate it. I felt that there was too much of the Avengers getting their ass kicked and then the resolutions were too fast. Like, um, the super adaptoid stuff I thought just ended way too quickly, and in this issue, you know, you've got the Dark Avengers stuff, and again, you know, the Dark Avengers who have been kicking ass for so long basically get, you know, taken out rather quickly. I mean, what did you think of this book, Aaron? Well, you and I have very different opinions because you know I I love the New Avengers. I, I I particularly like Bendis and Diodato on the New Avengers. I just it's got such a good feel. Um, Scar, son of Hulk, is a character I really enjoy. Um, I particularly like it. You know when we get to see you know Scar, son of Hulk, beating the crap out of stuff, and him beating the crap out of the Dark Avengers was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I liked the turnabout there. I liked that we finally got, you know, one of the things about Captain America is that, you know, he's not just, you know, heroic and noble, but he's one of the smartest guys around in terms of battle strategy, tactics, and dirty tricks. And I like that we finally got to see, okay, the Avengers aren't as stupid as, as we were led to believe in this series. You know, because he had the foresight to give Scar, son of Hulk, a cell phone out there in the Savage Land. You know, so <laughs> yeah. you know we get to see we get to see uh, you know a month ago where Norman Osborn comes to visit Scar, son of Hulk, and you know Scar pulls out his cell phone and calls Captain America and says, "Hey, this Nor- Norman Osborn Joker uh, just showed up. What do you want me to do?" And thus, Scar, son of Hulk, is a mole within Norman Osborn's operation. And uh, you know, blows his cover in this issue and just whoops the tar out of the Dark Avengers. Now, does it bother me a little bit that you know where two teams of Avengers get their asses handed to him by Norman Osborn and his team, and Scarson of Hulk takes the whole team down all by his lonesome? Yeah, that bothers me a little bit. But he's son of Hulk. But he, yeah, you're right. He he's son of awesome. Hulk. <laughs> and. Uh, I, I dug the book. I thought it was well drawn. I enjoyed the pacing, but I will agree with you, Paul. I think the pacing overall throughout both the Avengers and the New Avengers storylines in this have been stretched a little, and then they rush to the ending. You know, yeah. so it's like it's like too much development, and then not enough. You know, uh, whammy on the on the other side of it. Well, and let's uh, I, you know, for me, it's how long has it been since Siege? Um, let's see, twenty. We're on issue twenty three, uh-huh. so it was about a year and a half. That they took Norman Osborn off the, um, you know, off the chop, off the the playing field. Yeah. And so the buildup didn't seem worth the storyline that we got out of it. Right. Um, the storyline was just a very basic storyline. Like you know, you can't make Norman Osborn the main villain from for the Marvel Universe for two straight years. 
you know, but dark rain and siege and this big, big, big guy. And this storyline just felt like a meager follow up. It didn't really work for me. I, I was, I was disappointed. And, um, it's a little frustrating because now we're about to get into the Avengers versus X-Men stuff, which I'm excited about. Uh, but otherwise I would just drop both of these books. Well, and, um, Let's talk about Avengers 24.1 because one of the things that is already irritating me about AVX is the rush to wind up the existing stories to get in to AVX. Um, And so that's what they used 24.1 for of Avengers was to get you ready for Avengers versus X-Men. Something that's key to Avengers vs. X-Men Zero occurs in 24.1. And what bugs me about it, Paul, is that it's just, you know, we've, we've got these, you know, two-year-long storylines where they just take their freaking time to tell a story, and then they rush and do this thing that they did with Vision. And what I'm, what I'm uh, referring to is, you know, the, the Vision, the real Vision, not that Joker over in the Children's Crusade, uh, but the real Vision has been off the grid since Disassembled. You know, She-Hulk tore him in half, broke him apart, uh, and the Vision hasn't been, you know, uh, in the Marvel Universe in regular continuity since that time. So they bring him back in 24.1. And this is key because he is the former spouse, or I guess, did they ever get divorced? Mm. As far as I know, they were still married when he was killed in Avengers Disassembly. Okay. So he uh, – this is the spouse of uh, the Scarlet Witch, Wanda Maximoff, you know, who magically manipulated uh, She-Hulk to kill the Vision, right? And so he comes back uh, in this book, and he's all, you know, bent and out of shape because, you know, hey, his uh, his wife did something bad to him. You know, through his, through his friend the She Hulk, and you know, well, not only that, he was, you know, he basically exploded at one point too. She really screwed with him during that whole Avengers disassembled thing. Yes, she took over him and controlled him as well. And uh, you know, so he decides to take out his anger on Magneto because you know Magneto was her father and screwed her up. This was actually a decent story, I thought. I just felt like wouldn't it have been nice to have Vision back more than, you know, more than one book within the same week of Avengers versus X-Men. Yeah, I thought it was and and we're going to get into this here in a, in a in a minute. This honestly just especially when it leads into especially when you get into Avengers versus X-Men number 0. Mhm. it wasn't a bad book. I don't. It felt a little redundant. If you re, and I would read it before Avengers versus X Men point uh, number zero, mm-hmm. but it just you know it was like I'm not. I've never been a big fan of the Vision, but you know. So yes, he goes and he you know he he attacks Magneto and he makes the peace with She Hulk, and then it basically it's almost like a three part story because then he has the confrontation with Wanda Maximoff. It it though I got to be honest. The way he left it at the end of this book, I'm surprised about the way he treated her in Avengers versus X-Men number yeah. zero. Yeah, it's inconsistent. It's bugging me to hear that there was so much dealing with him in that because I didn't buy that issue. And unlike you, Paul, Vision is my favorite Avenger. He always has been. I love the character. And when we get into Avengers versus X-Men in a minute, I have some comments about that conversation. 
I thought this was their first meeting since he came back. Was in Avengers versus X Men number zero. Let me let me clarify. It it, it it is. However, he has a confrontation with Magneto. He has a confrontation with She Hulk, and it seems like it has left him in a different place than he is at the beginning of AVX number zero. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that he is. It, he is so broken at the end of 24.1. It doesn't, there's a huge disconnect between where he is there versus where he is here. And I mean, you kind of have the sense that we're talking hours from the ending of 24.1 to AVX zero. Yeah. I mean, you feel very much like there is almost no time lost between the last panel of Avengers 24.1 and the page where Wanda comes back to the mansion in Avengers versus X-Men zero. Yeah. It very much leads one into the other. Yeah. Um, except for the, the, you know, like we said, the, the characterization, uh, contradictions. Yeah. But I mean, I, like I said, I did enjoy Avengers versus X-Men or Avengers 24.1. Um, and, but considering it's written by the same guy, it's yeah. considering they're both written by Bendis, mm-hmm. I would have liked a little more flow there, or even you know, I mean, I'm not, I've never been a big fan of the point one issues, so you know, while it was nice to see this Vision storyline, while it was nice to see him make the peace and confront Magneto and all that stuff, it did, it, it did feel like a little bit of filler. Well, you know, the 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 point one issues were originally designed to be good jumping on points for new readers. Um, and I think that's bullshit. I think that I think the point one books have just turned into an extra book. Yeah, you know, because I while you know there is some talk in twenty four point one of how Vision got where he is. It really is not what I would call a good jumping on point for a new reader, because I mean this is all a bunch of baggage, and I, I just I, I I wish that I wish that the point one books would go away. Because they're not doing what they say they're going to do, and just call it an extra book, call it a special, call it a one shot. The point one, the point one initiative, I think, is is ridiculous. Now you had to be happy with the way they drew uh, the Beast in uh, Avengers versus X Men Zero. Did I have to? Yeah, you have to, because he's not Cat Beast. Well, I think that's just because. But you know, he's he doesn't have that ridiculous uh, Cat Beast look to him, and he's and he's got kind of the fins to his hair, uh, you know, a la original Beast. Where was Beast in Avengers vs. X-Men number zero? He was in the background at the mansion. Yeah. Oh, okay. That was uh, Frank Cho, wasn't it? Uh, Jason Aaron? Yeah, Frank Jason Cho. Jason Aaron's the writer. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, Frank Cho. Oh, yeah. Okay, I see what you're talking about. So, since, you guys read, since you guys read the point one, I'm curious what you thought of this issue. For me, I loved half of this issue and I hated half of it. I The whole Vision Scarlet Witch confrontation and their conversation... I absolutely loved it, and I like uh, Tony's comment. The I get it. I just always like them together. Yeah, that's that's a fan's comment. I yeah, mean, it sure is. Absolutely, that's exactly how I felt when I read that. But yeah, reading through those couple pages of his his confrontation with her and basically telling her, you know, hey, I get it. You went through a rough time. It was tough, but I can't forgive what you did. Mm-hmm. Oh, those. If it wasn't for. Uh, for the fact that the second half of the book and that Daredevil came out this week, this would have been my book of the week just for those couple pages. I could care less about the fight before that. But just those pages really got me into it. 
because I, I love Vision. He's my favorite of the Avengers. I loved his relationship with Scarlet Witch in the past. I loved a lot of what they had done with the two of them. And those couple pages really had me hooked. And I hated everything with hope in this book. Oh, no, I I disagree. I thought the second – like I, I, I agree with the part about the, the Vision Scarlet Witch scene was awesome. I think the hope story kind of sets the scene that she's kind of a little badass. Like, yeah, I okay, like the, the Serpent stuff. Society. The Serpent Society. Okay, it's not it's not an A squad supervillain team, but it, you know, let's just say it's a let's say a B minus squad. She took them on by herself. I think that was what it kind of served that she doesn't she didn't need the Phoenix Force and she's not scared of it and she can handle it. That's kind of what that set up. I thought. Yeah, and part of it was I didn't need that set up. I already knew she was a badass that could take on quite a bit more than they've let her take on so far. But I don't know. I just I didn't like the dialogue as well over there. I didn't like. I don't know what it was. It just didn't seem as good of a story. It definitely didn't have the emotional impact of the first half. Paul, what are your thoughts on this one? I liked both halves. Um, I got to be honest. I actually liked the second half better than I liked the first half. I, I gotta say, I felt. I felt it was, and I I'm, I'm curious to see how it will play in. To, to the overall series, but it, it didn't feel very important to me. Especially since I read Avengers 24.1. The first half of this book seemed pointless to me, because I was already familiar with the Vision stuff and how he felt about things. And then the X-Men half, I mean, if you've been following X-Men, it seems like unimportant. I guess the, the only point to this book was to get you familiar with with some of the characters before, you know, if you're not reading either book. But this didn't. This wasn't really a good intro to the Avengers and what's going on in those titles, other right. than the Scarlet Witch. And you know, it, it was a good introduction to the to X Men. I will say that you know, you do get a sense of who Hope is, and it's very obvious that the storyline has heavily to do with Hope. I took it as an establishing status quo. If Vision and Scarlet Witch play a big part in uh, the storyline, then I think that will have been what they were trying to do. Well, I, I think, think maybe Scarlet Witch is going to have a big part in the story. Well, I, I got to be honest. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking everyone's kind of under the impression that the Phoenix is coming for hope. I think the reason they're playing up Scarlet Witch so much is that maybe the Phoenix is coming for the Scarlet Witch or Squirrel Girl or Squirrel Girl. Yes. But you know, but you know, it, you know, you know it, I the will timing of it. Story if it goes either direct, either of those directions. <laughs> if Squirrel Girl gets it, I will wholeheartedly endorse this story. If Wanda gets it, I I will be pleasantly surprised. Because the timing of it, you know, she came back in Avengers Children's Crusade in around the same time that this Phoenix started coming back to Earth. It, it seems like maybe, you know, maybe that's the way they're taking it, that, you know, it could come back for either one of them, but everyone thinks it's coming for hope. So, I mean, I, 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 if that's what's happening, I'm okay with that. It would explain a little bit of why the, we need to focus on Wanda so much. Because mm-hmm. I, I, right now I don't understand why, why she's so important. I don't understand why anyone's allowed Wanda to live. Well, now you sound like a Cyclops. But I, I, you know, she she has reduced the uh, mutant population to a tenth of what it was. She, uh, you know, killed Avengers. She pitted Avenger against Avenger. She disassembled the Avengers, and the Avengers aren't supposed to disassemble. They're supposed to what? Assemble. Assemble. So, yeah. Because they're all about the ass, but um, <laughs> I, I don't. 
that whole oh we're family we forgive these things you know um you know you killed some people you know jack of hearts scott lang vision yeah you know well and you know tell that to wonder man who's sitting in prison right now that's right yeah yeah so i i you know i i'm i can forgive some stuff but you know i i uh i get pretty stern if you drink my last beer i can't imagine how i might respond if you know you killed a couple of my buddies yeah, I do like that she wiped out so many mutants, though, because let's face it, there were too many mutants. Yeah, but she's uh, a non-mutant. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, if I were More, in a comic book world and I were a mutant, I'd be pretty upset about it too. There you go. I'm just tired of you spewing your your Homo sapien bigotry. You're you clearly know? on the Avengers side. Every word that comes out of your mouth, Wayne, is mutant hate. You and your Fair anti-mutant enough. agenda. When it comes to this book, fair enough. <laughs> so, I mean, so generally, what did you guys think about the book? I, I, you know, I thought it was kind of a weak introduction to the to the crossover. Uh, like I said, I I absolutely love the Vision Scarlet Witch stuff, but I didn't read that point one, so I didn't get any of this setup. It was just this is how Vision is dealing with her being back, and that was my only introduction to how he was taking it. And those pages were chilling. It was a great interaction, good storytelling moments. What it has to do with the overall story, I don't know yet. But I absolutely love that half of it because those are those are two characters I've always really enjoyed. Well, I, I, I guess my thought on the book is I don't know why Avengers 24.1 and uh, Avengers vs. X-Men Zero weren't the same book. Because yeah. I picked up 24.1 not realizing that it had anything to do with Avengers versus X-Men. And it was only by sheer luck that I picked it up. And let me tell you, I read it out of order. You know, I read AVX before I read Avengers. And you know, the whole time I'm reading AVX, I'm like, when the hell did Vision come back? <laughs> you know, I, mean, I, was, I found it as, a, as an established reader, I found it very confusing. And then you know, the next thing I read was uh, 24.1, and I was like, oh, okay. Some numbering would have been helpful. Well, no. and I think honestly, they could have done Avengers twenty four point one, the pre the prelude to Avengers versus X Men, and they could have done you know Uncanny X Men number seven point one, the prelude to uh, you know Avengers versus X Men, and I think these storylines would have fit better there. Mm-hmm. I feel if you're going to put Avengers versus X Men on the cover, then you need to hit the ground running. Yes, and I, I felt like this was not hitting the ground running. This was very much a a quiet introspective start. And, you know, you don't want to see that as the start of your crossover. Yeah. I mean, you I know, guess it's a zero issue, but... I also thought the cover was misleading. I expected this to be a story about Wanda and Hope interacting. I didn't know until I got at home and started reading it that it was two entirely separate stories. That it was, here's a setup on the Avenger side, here's a setup on the X-Men side. I thought it was going to be those two characters meeting each other. Yeah. And that wasn't the case. Now, and not to set up any sibling rivalry for, uh, for you know, for the architects of the Marvel Universe. And I know Wayne's going to disagree with me, but I thought Jason Aaron did a bang-up job compared to the stuff I've been reading from Brian Michael Bendis recently. I, 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 I you know, I, they're, they're alternating on the actual book, and I'm more looking forward to the Jason Aaron stuff than I am to the Bendis stuff. Yeah, I disagree with you, but... I knew you would. What's new? Yeah. <laughs> Shocker. 
Don't but worry. You know, I, I'll start it was something a, too. I got it's the a sign that there was something in this book for each of us. That's because I really enjoyed that Scarlet Witch Avenger story. I, it's it uh, it was very good, and it sounds like you really enjoyed the hope stuff. So there was something for both of us, at least. Do you look at on the bright side? Not trying to start a war. <laughs> That's right. I'll save the war for where the actual series starts coming out. <laughs> but no, I I, I did. I felt that these stories would have been better placed somewhere else rather than in the start of the crossover. That's just my opinion, but I feel like you need to hit the ground running again, not a bad book, but I'm looking forward to number one next week. I think that'll, that will decide whether I'm really going to be on board this crossover or not, but you know, art by John Jr. I know from the sounds of it, they could have put it together and done a vision and Scarlet, Witch one shot, and it and yep. combine both of those stories, yep. and that would have been something I would have picked up and probably enjoyed more having both parts of the story put together into one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean they've had an AVX banner on every Marvel book for the last four months. They could have just put AVX Prelude on a couple of issues. Well, and I, I find to, it interesting yeah. that there was no AVX banner at all on this book. I mean, on, on Avengers 24.1, there's nothing here to, to, to tell you that this is leading into Avengers versus X-Men. You know, I, find, I, I find that startling. It's almost as startling as the marketing campaign for John Carter. Just saying. Oh, and speaking of which, Paul, didn't you see John Carter? God damn you, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> so I emailed Aaron this week, and I said... Now that I'm back on the podcast, can this be the first week where we don't fucking talk about John Carter for once? <laughs> no, because it was good and it had bad marketing, and oh, we're Jesus doing a better Christ. job marketing this movie, <laughs> you know, than uh, than Disney did or whoever was marketing it. I mean, Aaron has probably had more people go to this movie than the uh, the trailers did because the trailers <laughs> sucked. That may be nice. true. <laughs> that may be true. Paul, did you like John Carter? Yes, I did very much enjoy John Carter. Uh, I don't think I had the love for it that you did, but I did enjoy it. All right, then. I uh, <laughs> I was like, if we talk about the marketing or John Carter one more goddamn time. <laughs> now I just got to get Tim to go see it. No. Do it. Send Tim a, send Tim a gift card. <laughs> uh, he'd just go see Bridesmaids 2. Or American Reunion. Uh, or Mirror Mirror. My wife dragged me to that Revenge last night. Revenge of the Titans. It was horrible. Anybody? Ooh, Wrath of the Titans. I'm with you, Tim. Yeah. Even though I hated the first one. Uh, I, I thought the first one was right. I could get by on the second one. You know, we're just like five weeks from Fear of the Con and the Avengers movie. And new comic book day. Free comic yeah, book day. Yeah, why does it all have to be the same weekend? Can I bitch? Yeah, <laughs> three awesome things all happening on the exact same weekend. Like, the rest of the year is going to suck, comparatively. <laughs> <speaking>. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm afraid you're right there, Tim. Well, let's face it. The rest of the year is going to suck, whether the, well, these three cool things all happen on the same time or not. We do get a new Batman movie later in the year. This yeah. is true. And an event. Oh, wait. No, the Avengers the same weekend. Uh, it's got to be something. Welcome to the conversation, Paul. Shut up. <laughs> Shoot it. <laughs> <sighs> Sigh. I love having Paul back on. I quit. <laughs> Andrew, you can come back next week. <laughs> All right. It's it's like we're sh- it's like it's it's like kind of a divorce situation where we it's like we get custody of Paul one week and custody of Andrew the second week. That's right. That's I right. like this. 
We had to split up the children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was good to have you back, Paul. It was. Uh, I'm. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> that is all, something we all could agree on, Paul. You were here. <laughs> so all that comic book talk just bursting out of you. You had to get back on a podcast and spew venom. I oh. did, I did, and I was angry this week. Well, I'm not angry, but I read some shit this week, and next week should be good. We got Avengers vs. X-Men number one. We got Supreme number 63. Huh? New issue of Fatal. Supreme? Supreme. Is this the thing that they, they, they reignited from... Uh, Stream, yeah. It's, it's picking up the uh, the, the old storyline? Yeah. Okay. Um, and Aaron, I know you're excited. Daredevil 10.1. okay who's writing it um your mom wow that was that's actually a serious question though because if mark wade writes it i'll pick (laughs) it up but these point ones haven't always had the same creative team right a lot of times no no, seriously i want to know i'm pretty sure it's mark wade i was gonna say that's paul speak for he doesn't have it in front of him yeah it's paul speak for for delay until i can look it up hold on (laughs) If it's Mark Wade, I will buy it. If it's not Mark Wade, I probably won't. If your mom wrote ten point one, you wouldn't buy it. Some kind of <laughs> son you shit. are, Wayne. Did you hear what he said? If Mark Hell Wade no, were- my mom has no idea what the core character concept of Daredevil is. <laughs> I can only imagine what kind of horrible comic she would create. <laughs> yes, oh, it is Mark Wade. <laughs> okay, then I will be buying it. Yes, I'm it's not, not your mother. It's not Wayne's mom. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm off the book now. If <laughs> if Wayne's mom's not going to write it, I'm out. Yep. F that book. Yeah. Paulo Rivera or not. <laughs> I'm out. That's what I want to cover to say to Wayne's mom. <laughs> now featuring Wayne's mom. <laughs> uh, this year needs to end so I can get back to my normal Paul's mom. <laughs> it's not good when Paul's making Wayne's mom jokes. It's good. It's good. I've I've had like a month off. I, I've thought about it, Paula, but we uh, when we game if my if I make a character that makes fun of your character's mom, it's not making fun of your mom. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I see some PvP action coming up. And I'm... <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, what do I have to? What does my character have to roll to seduce Paul's character's mom? <laughs> <sighs> you know what? I, I think the answer is to just roll up your character as. Paul's mom. <laughs> That's the way you go. <laughs> so we went off the rails here. Quickly. Yeah. Didn't take any time when you're on the show, Paul. Apparently. Yeah. Well, thanks, everybody. See you. Yeah. Paul's ending the show. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. Mm-hmm.